0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your weekend sports cars gathering with my main man. He's in Y-U-R-R-U-P as we pronounce it here in the States, Europe, Europe. Good old Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, comms man, voice, face, and just cheerleader. Of all forms of European endurance racing, whether it's WEC, European Le Mans series, Asian Le Mans, he's, he's everywhere. uh <laughs> That's our guy. It's 11 21 p.m., just called yeah. a mighty ELMS race. Porto Mau? is it, Graham? It is, is yeah.
1: Fabulous, fabulous race.
0: After dinner, a very late dinner. That's how much Graham loves sports cars. I do as well. Granted, it's only 3 21 p.m. here on a Friday, but. uh Nonetheless, this is not a Flappy Gums episode, where just you and I run our mouths until we get tired and turn the podcast machine off. We have actual questions from actual listeners, our dear pal Daniel Summersgill put all them together for us, and I can say, as we occasionally have, Graham, we are performing this episode to an audience of one. Say hello, everybody, to our cat, Rocky. He uh, just had his cable. Yeah, Rock. Rock and roll. How you doing, buddy? Uh, He who often walks across uh, the desk and or my chair and puts his butt in my face and does all kinds of distracting things. Well, Rock is taking a nap here in the sun. So we have one spectator, Graham, so we better make him happy. But let me say a very quick thank you, as always, to our show partners, long standing show partners at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers. And yes, that's right. Our original show partner with us now going into what? I think year seven next year, whatever it is. Many years. 95 yes, years. Nine, yes. Exactly. Signed on uh, back when the world was black and white. That being Toronto Motorsports.com, of whom I got to spend some time with Graham at Motul Petit Le Mans. Oh, yes. Uh, they are having a bit of a going out of plaid sale. Since they represent the mighty FAF Motorsports team, sell all manner of FAF plaid Porsche merch, and with our pals at PFAF moving to McLaren next year, not going the to
1: product, the future's orange.
0: Yes, not as not as pladsy as you'd hoped. So they were selling everything and took home a couple of gifts plus a plaid to the bone. A uh, little advertising hoarding they uh they were using inside their merch trailer so great time spent with our pals at torontomotorsports.com pay them a visit motorsports memorabilia the kind you actually like so um hey we got a lot of questions mostly coming out of last week's and last weekend's motul Petit Le Mans. got some other questions as well graham goodwin what are you sec? Just for us starting this show, where should we go first,
1: my friend? I think we should dive straight in with the what was absolutely the moment of Petit Le Mans that uh, generated most of the comment that I certainly saw coming out on uh, social media. And that comes initially, the question comes from Mark Whiteleg, and he says, MP, thoughts on the incident between 31, from Action Express and 10 from the Wayne Taylor Racing incident from both of you. Should it have been a penalty for 31 or was it a racing incident? What think you?
0: Oh compared? boy. Yeah. So uh, I would probably need to clear my hard drive uh, to have all the recording space uh, as necessary if we went into all the angles. There were two drivers who were completely wrong in this scenario, Graham. And only one driver was right. Um, what do I mean by that? Oh, boy. Okay, so as quickly as I can. Pippo Durrani, driver of the Whelan Engineering Cadillac V-Series.R GTP car. 100% in the wrong for his treatment of Philippe Albuquerque in the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Acura ARX 06. This was 100% Pippo Durrani's fault. This was also 100% Philippe Albuquerque's fault if he was aware that Pippo was driving that 31 Cadillac. The only driver who was blameless in all this as well is Philippe Albuquerque. So, a couple things here. And this is where this is... Far too complicated, far more complicated than it should be, Graham. Young Mr. Mm -hmm. Durrani has behaved like this before. If you place yourself in a position where he can use up all the road and therefore use you up, whether that's you just flying off the racing surface and losing some time or potentially falling off track at a high rate of speed and hitting something and having your race effectively be ruined, He has proven in the past, more than once, actually on enough of a frequency gram to where it is fully expected, this has happened enough times to where, for reasons unknown, it has not been halted. There's been no, that I can recall, harsh penalty corrective behavior applied to make this young man think that he cannot do this. In fact, I believe it's the opposite. This type of maneuver by Durrani has happened so many times, and without sanctioning, I'm sorry, and with, that, with sanctioning, if you do something that the majority of the rest of us would say is not right, and there is isn't an authority figure there to judge, and they do not say that behavior is incorrect, and here is the penalty for behaving in such a way. If you do something that the vast majority of folks would say is not right, there's the equivalent of a judge there to say that is correct or incorrect behavior, and routinely there is nothing said that it is incorrect, and here is a penalty. You can understand how the person acting in such a way would be emboldened. Hey, I've done this many times. Nobody drops a hammer on me. Guess they're okay with me doing it. You then look at someone like Philippe Albuquerque, who, here's the crazy thing he tried to do, Graham, in a professional motor race, where a change of position would deliver, potentially deliver a championship to his team in the waning... Portions of the season finale he went into a corner side by side with another driver and tried to pass that driver what a crazy concept being sarcastic obviously but i think that's maybe the number one item that was lost in all of this and the part that frustrated me well he should know better true if he is electing to go around the outside of pippo durrani in that number 31 wheel and engineering Cadillac yeah I got to admit this is a questionable move if he was unaware it was Pippo everything I just said forget it all if Jack Aitken or Alexander Sims happened to be in that number 31 car Pippo's teammates I am not worried about the 10 car and the 31 car navigating turn one at Road Atlanta, fastest, scariest corner, and both cars coming out in a healthy and clean manner and continuing to race. It is only with young Mr. Durrani where serious concerns about the car on the outside of the 31 would be able to come out of that corner intact. So this is a known concern to hold if Albuquerque, who was shaken up, taken to the hospital for evaluation, released. I believe he said he, his back was hurting and I think his hand or wrist. But if this is something he willfully did with an hour to an hour and a half left in the race, whatever the exact amount of time I'm forgetting, that was a big and known risk. Uh, I've said elsewhere, this is a dog that is known to bite Graham. And if you know this Mm -hmm. dog bites and you still feel compelled to reach your hand out to pet the dog and it gets bit, can you really be mad at the dog? We know the dog shouldn't do it. We know it, right? But nonetheless, if you know that bite is awaiting you, if you put yourself in a position to allow yourself to be bit, that raises some pretty serious concerns. Nonetheless, biting should not happen. Should not be sanctioned. There should be corrective behavior applied. So biting mm-hmm. no longer happens. But in this instance, we know with this particular dog, you go around the outside, you're going to get bit. So do you blame Albuquerque? Yeah. If he knew, he knew the risks he was taking and they were very low percentage possibility of coming out clean on the other side. But how do you blame a guy, Graham, for doing what you're supposed to do this is a motor race right a professional one won this specific race with the checkered flag again not too far away eight and a half nine of the 10 hours are gone if he moves that 10 car in front of the 31 and it stays there they win the championship instead the 31 car that team won the championship but isn't this what motor racing is supposed to be about Hi, I've gone around you. I'm trying to go around you. I haven't hit you. There is adequate space for both of us to go around the corner. You have chosen to remove that room and more. There was contact, right? As I saw it, there was somewhere between two and three moments of side-by-side contact of the 31 sliding into hitting the 10 car. And the next thing you know, the 10 car was... Firing over the curbing, onto the grass, and into the wall at unabated speed. But are we to blame Philippe Albuquerque for doing the most basic thing, Graham, that you are paid to do in a professional motor race, which is to pass other drivers? Even if you're in the lead, you're probably going to come up on lapped cart, right? Still your job. Might not be for position, but you're still tasked with paid a lot of money to pass other cars and do so cleanly or as cleanly as possible. So I say yes in this scenario. If Albuquerque knew it was Durrani, you got to own some of this because you know that dog bites. At the same time, this behavior that has been seemingly sanctioned or at least led Durrani to believe he can do this in perpetuity and get away with it, that to me is the bigger thing that we need to look at coming out of Petit Le Mans. But how the heck do you blame Philippe Albuquerque in the final hour or so of the race with a championship on the line and his rival right there, who he got a better run on coming out of the final corner, long run down the straight, right? He's doing everything he's supposed to. He should be able to come out on the other side with his car intact. I, I struggle with this, Graham. Because to me, Mm -hmm. I mentioned this in this week's Racer Mailbag where someone asked about it. There are going to be two Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Acuras next year. I'm not saying that the new second car would be used as a battering ram or payback and otherwise, but I can tell you that if it's just the 10 car and the 31 on track next year, I don't know, I wouldn't like to think That a team now with two cars, one that could potentially be a little meaner and rougher than the other one, starts behaving in the same way, whether it's Mm -hmm. for the sake of payback, Graham, or just, hey, apparently we can run each other off the track. So guess what? Here's our opportunity to stuff you into a wall at 150 miles an hour. I'm not wanting to think about that as being something the team would do. I'm sure they would never consider it. But the possibility exists if someone decided to go off the rails and act in a non-sane way to do such a thing. What I'd like to see and hope to see is that during this offseason, whether it is in-person meetings, Zoom calls, or getting folks together before the open test here at Daytona in December takes place, That a very real conversation, not just between the two drivers, team owners, team principals, all drivers, every decision maker on both teams is hauled into a room and said, hi, if anything like this happens again, you're going to lose all your points. You're going to lose all your thing from all your everything from whatever that race is. You might be put on probation. You might be suspended for multiple races. This stops now. You're not going to pay them back and get them back and, quote, settle the score. You're not going to do this again if you're presented with the opportunity to run someone off the track in a Taylor and Dreddy car. This stops now, period. Because if it doesn't, I don't consider this entertaining, Graham. This isn't quality. This isn't good. Folks spend an entire year to get to this final hour to go really hard to try and settle the championship. Something like this. It, it demeans the value of what everybody strive for throughout the year. This needs to be halted and
1: firmly going forward. Well, this moves forward. Here's the first thing. Number one is this is what we're talking about. I'm not a championship. Well, one, this is the first and primary question. And the questions that follow on from it build upon some of those themes so amongst the uh, questions are going to pop in your direction at the moment one from kevin payne lance snyder and a name i've not seen before uh, clinton i think it's catched him uh, so, Clinton, thanks for writing in for what I think is the first time. Kevin says, yet again, appalling driving standards over the weekend kept the stewards busy. Seems that it's getting worse regardless of the series. Does a driver need to be banned for some sanity to return? Lance says, multiple instances of petite in WeatherTech and Michelin Pilot Challenge will chalk, be chalked up to bonehead driving. At what point do we go from eviscerating drivers in a driver's meeting to backing them up with penalties that hit hard in the race? especially with larger grids next year. And Clinton, adds in just a slightly different take, which is yeah. should IMSA at an insurance class for the safety crew. They have a lot of on-track uh, action lately. The, the, the common theme here is the disconnect between, uh, I think you're, you're edging towards that uh, MP, disconnect between the behavior on track and the sanctions that are applied.
0: So we've got a couple things here to consider, Graham. 10-hour race four hours 40 percent of the race was spent under caution pace cars running around sweepers jet blowers you name it cranes lifting vehicles out cranes and whatnot trying to pull barriers back to where they were meant to be um would say well hey we're getting rid of one class next year lmp3 which in theory, should make everything better, right? LMP3 certainly made a mess of things uh, with drivers at numerous events since it was elevated to the WeatherTech Championship. But I mean, come on, what did we see on the parade laps? We saw a P2 car chucked into the wall. Uh, we then saw that same P2 car crash moments after that. I think we did see a, a P3 car uh, hit something as well, but. I do not foresee getting rid of LMP3 dropping down to four classes next year, Graham, as being the thing that magically cleans up driving and driving standards. So totally we're, al- agree. we're also not going to see a reduction in entries. We are going to have a... This is the official measurement of standard for the weekend sports cars. A heck of a bunch of cars everywhere. We're losing a class... But we're going up in car counts, max car counts at many of the tracks that we go to. So it's this bizarre, bizarre is the wrong word. It's this constantly difficult situation, brother, where you go, hey, this is great. The popularity is growing. Teams are having all kinds of folks ring up and say hi we want to run a car want to pay to drive it want to got a sponsor got a whatever could you do an extra car could you do with this there's a lot of business being done in the weathertech sports car championship for 2024 and it is phenomenal we also know that in the top class by and large we're going to get pretty good behavior from the gtp drivers right all factory pros or close enough with the uh, the privateers as we have more privateers coming in they're also pretty aggressive right especially when you're dealing with all classes on track at the same time yeah there's some some quick decisive moves that not every amateur driver in a prototype or a gt car is really equipped to deal with You then have a scrutiny that I think, beyond using metals to rate folks, gold, silver, bronze, platinum, lead, whatever else, I do wonder, Graham, and this is maybe a roundabout way of coming back to the question posed by a number of our friends here. It's one thing to have the official FIA driver rating that allows you to compete in a class, whatever. I don't care whether it's weather tech. I don't care if it's MX-5. It's one thing to have the license to do so. It's another thing to have the experience, situational awareness, and talent to handle being in a car that tops out. If we're talking GTD at wherever, at 168 miles an hour on whatever straight, and deal with two or three GTP drivers wearing each else wearing each other out firing down that same straight at 195 and weaving in and out and cutting right in front of you and then jamming on the brakes at the last second because the last thing they want to do is get caught up behind you and that's a tough thing for a pro in a p2 or gtd guard to deal with graham much less an amateur who's just come out of one of the the lower classes training classes or maybe another series I do wonder if we're at the point in time where a filter above whatever your FI rating might be, but a, you know what, we are really looking forward to hosting you at name a track where there are not all the classes running, or we don't think it will be as intense where you will be asked to make some really hard decisions on every lap because of the circuit layout where you get caught by the faster cars, et cetera, et cetera. There are some tracks that you and I can look at and say, they're all challenging in their own way, but there are some that are especially challenging or where the speed disparity is wicked. And is that the place where we want someone making their weather tech debut, or maybe someone who isn't overly experienced, maybe is just coming into the sport a little bit old, whatever it might be a thing where you go, Despite what your rating might be, we're going to apply another filter to this that we think is in the series' best interest and ultimately yours, and let's pick and choose the events where we're more comfortable with you taking part. I realize that that messes with the team's business, Graham, right? But yeah. Yeah. We what we saw at Petite and we have seen at other events is you would almost seemingly need to double or triple the amount of staff and race control to monitor all of the shenanigans going on and potentially sanction everybody at at every single car seemingly would be penalized at some point in time for an infraction. What do we need to do to improve the overall quality so that we don't have to double or triple the amount of staff and race control to make this field like FBI field agents run amok trying to investigate everybody at all times.
1: I think, I think there's, there's all sorts to unpack here, isn't it? I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again now. I think we are at the stage where, with some of the driving standards we've seen, not always, by the way, from the amateur drivers, but sometimes from incoming pros, that there needs to be a standard applied. I completely understand the difficulties for professional race teams in finding the right quality of people, across busy and deep seasons to help uh make the business work i get it but the same applies to every other team on the grid and if you've got someone who is not of high enough quality you're putting their investment at risk so my solution pretty simple really uh, is any new driver coming into the multi-class environment at the kind of level we're talking about here and that that sort of starts with the, the kind of race series that I've been up there this weekend and will remain in the, the next couple of days for the European Le Mans series LMP2 LMP3 uh, this year GTE which is if you're coming in and you're coming in as a non-professional driver a rookie test should apply we do it for Le Mans we should be doing it for these other circuits what does that rookie test look like well there's older and wiser people than me uh, in this business but it might for instance look like a set number of laps in a test session at the start of the weekend that need to be completed at a predefined pace without fault without track limits and obeying the race director's instructions for that test it might be that it might be that if you're a professional driver that this standard is slightly different than maybe fuel apps whatever. But again, we shouldn't necessarily assume that a professional driver who's never done this is suited to doing this because we can't ignore MP. That the pro- problems that are being caused and not just being caused by bronze rank drivers. Yeah. So the message needs to be delivered at the top of the at the top of the uh, the, the show, if you like, um, that this is the standard that we expect. Okay? We're going to test you to that standard and we're going to test you and by the way, you're already going to be employed by that team so you're going to be paying to be tested for that. You're earning your part uh, on this grid. That to me is the starting point that makes it easier for the stewards uh, for race control to apply sanctions against that standard. If they don't, uh, either they don't apply the sanctions, uh, I think that's been often the uh, the criticism we've seen of late, or that those uh, standards appear to be unclear or unevenly um, acted upon, then you're quite right. You, you, you can only expect what's going to then happen, which is people are going to try and push that envelope. Um, you know, we have seen it. It's not just in the interest of Tech to sports car championship. But, you know, the European Le Mans series this weekend... Been pretty good actually so far. We've had a race unusually on a Friday because we lost a race earlier in the season, so we've got a double header. But Spa, which is the previous race we had in both the European Le Mans Series and the Michelin Le Mans Cup, driving standards were bluntly, completely unacceptable. And some of the sanctions that are applied in the cases of that those dri- uh, those um, uh, behaviours being unacceptable are not acceptable either. You know, seeing a amateur driver punted off the, the road deliberately, it seemed, by another amateur driver, unacceptable. And by the way, that should not be a drive-through. That should be something significantly more than that. So maybe this is the, the next big thing that needs to be thought through. We're very good at thinking through things and coming up with complicated rule books and complicated ways of balancing this and you know, managing that. Well, let's start with the really big stuff, the stuff where people can get hurt, and at the very least, that their major investment in the equipment, the ability to come racing at this kind of level, is damaged as a result of other people's poor driving, lack of luck, etc. It's not always deliberate, but there should be a message delivered that a standard needs to be applied. It needs to be applied for sporting reasons and for reasons of simple safety. We've become very complacent indeed. The cars that we enjoy watching MP um, can survive massive impact. You, You spend the other part of your time in a part of the sport where we've not been as lucky in recent years. And that leaves a bit more than a bruise. Time, we actually started to step away from success being judged simply by how big the entry is and started to look a little bit more some of the qualitative science it including driving standards and the safety standards that apply in those cases. That's where I sit and I think it's an easy fix. I think the message needs to be delivered. It's not just about you bringing quantum you know amounts of dollars, pounds or euros to, to assess your value. Your value is about the standards you apply to yourself and to others on track during this racing. It doesn't mean you can't race. it doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. It does mean that poor behavior or persistently poor driving standards need to be acted upon.
0: Yeah, totally. All right, Uh, let's see. Here's one I'm going to throw back at you, and I don't know if you followed all this or if you were busy, but our pal Right Turn Lover says, What's your take on Lone Star Racing pulling off at the end the final lap of the Michelin Pilot Challenge race, demoting Rebel Rock Racing in the MPC Championship in the process? he says technically by doing that they elevated turner motorsport but i don't think that was their motivation was it artful hey. revenge or wrongdoing or unsporting behavior and i'll just mention graham before you answer you know who i sat across in the media center sat across from the media center uh your friend and mine also rebel rock pr rep Declan brennan <laughs> brennan he was really what was happy. his to be. oh was he was super happy can you set up the if if you caught all of it? Can you set up the premise here about what happened? I mean, I know that the the answers in the question here, but this was you want yeah. to talk about a real bone of contention. I realize that WeatherTech Championship is bigger and more popular than MPC, but where the durrani Albuquerque uh, contact and how that settled the championship dominated everything from Sunday night onwards. Oh, there was twenty four hours from Friday afternoon on of, can you believe what happened here?
1: Well, I mean, the, the way I, I set this up, there was there was what I believe the youth of today call beef between the two teams <laughs> in a somewhat ridiculous kind of fashion earlier in the season. So there's, I think, a three-wide incident where um, Robin Liddell in the Rebel Rock uh, Camaro did a Rob, Robin Addell thing, which was he went for a gap that was there. And it was the teammate of the driver. This was um, oh, good grief. Australian driver. Can't remember. Uh, Scott, Can't remember. Can't remember. Either way, there was a move made. There was room for that move to be made. Uh, and Robin Liddell, as the the you know the warrior that he is, went for that gap and took the position. And that apparently started this ticking time bomb that led up to what happened in the very closing stages of this race. It was all about the position of the two championship contenders. Scott and Andrews. The allegation. Yeah, Scott Andrews. There you go. I know Scott well. i apologize, Scott. I just had a bit of a brain fart. Um, the Lone Star car pulled into the pits with apparently no reason to do so, is the allegation here. And by doing so, manipulated the results to deliver a slap in the face to the, 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 the car that apparently, or the team that had apparently done them wrong uh, previously uh, you know, earlier in the season. Right, here's the thing. Wasn't there. I only know personally, one person involved in this, and I do know Robin. I've known Robin Liddell for many years. He's a feisty Scot. I have not spoke to Robin about this incident. I would say this MP. If it is proven to be the case that that was the intention, it's would be very simple, you would not invite that team back at all. There's a you know there are two basic principles that should underpin everything that we do in this sport. The first and the prime primary one is safety. End of story. We just discussed that ad infinitum with the previous questions. The other one is it's a sport. There's, there's a sporting code. Some of it written, some of it unwritten. And I don't know what the real book says for the michelin Pilot Challenge, but I do know that most real books and most regulations that I'm familiar with, there is one about good sportsmanship and unsportsmanlike behaviour. If that's what happened, the reality should be that that team and all that individual, depending on what and who was at fault here, should be made clear to them they are not welcome back. That is not the behaviour that anybody either involved in the racing or watching that racing deserves to be subjected to. Really very simple. That is just one of those things that should be just beyond the pale. There are red lines everywhere in life, aren't there? This should be one of them. Don't mess with the sporting aspects to settle some petty little vendetta because you happen to be overtaken in a race. That's completely ridiculous and utterly childish. And by the way, anybody saying, you wouldn't say that to the face. Try me, is the straight answer. It's petty and childish. If you can prove it, and there's ways in which that can be done, then the answer should be given that that team and or that driver should not be welcomed back the next year.
0: So... I do want to get you to bed here before too long because it's five from midnight, but why don't we get through a couple more questions, brother, and then maybe we'll pick up some that we didn't get to in next week's episode. Hopefully there'll be some about the ELMS race, which you described in its closing segment as cracking. Um,
1: Absolutely amazing.
0: Uh, Rohan Dylan says MP, you mentioned in an earlier podcast, a Porsche doing well. Petit Le Mans would give you insight into whether or not Ooh. they've turned a page in terms of performance. Since having been a petite, what is your take on their performance? I was mostly impressed. Had a crash early in the race with one of the two factory Porsche Penske entries, not of their making. Definitely fit into the multiple. What are you thinking, bro? Uh, poor driving standard moves during the race. We saw this more than once, Graham, heading down the very long back straight towards the uh, Turn 10, 11, 12 complex before they get to that and dive down the hill and start the lap again. We're blasting down that long straight. Someone, whether it happened in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, actually might have been the VP Challenge, I forget what, but in one or more of the feeder series sessions and or races as well as in, uh, the, I think the first big crash was hour two in the uh, in Petit Le Mans, where one car tips into another and they spin and yeah, clip another under, and. I see. Right, yeah, our our friends at high class weren't classing up the joint, sadly, but uh, just ruined Nick Tandy's day. He and uh, Jam Jam, they were certainly in contention for the title in uh, their Porsche 963. That all went by the wayside immediately. Big damage done to the car, Um, even more later in the race, sadly. But we had multiple instances, Graham, where just going in a straightaway uh, whether it was two wide, three wide, where someone moved and not like an inch, but made a in- intentional, uh, th- I don't know how to put it. I mean, not intentional as I'm going to hit you and cause a crash, but it's not, oh, my car slightly drifted, but I am intentionally turning the steering wheel, right? Again, not a little slip of the hand, but just I'm making an intentional act without realizing There was either a car coming up alongside them, was already there alongside them, or something. And we saw kerblamo, right? There was a big crash. I think it was Thursday, maybe, where I'm like, that chassis might have been written off. Just like hip-checked at 150 miles an hour into concrete barrier. And you go, why? There's no reason for this if you have basic, situational awareness you have mirrors if not in many of the cars some form of actual video camera shooting out the back from the center of the bumper where you go there should be no point in time where you are unaware or surprised of who's behind you or coming alongside you and yet we had a lot of these type of how is this happening going straight nonetheless that indeed took out one of Porsche's challengers there. So we didn't get to see in the race itself how well its most Porsche Penske Motorsports most successful car was able to fare, really. But its sister car was quick. What impressed me quite a bit, Graham, was indeed the pace of the f- non-factory cars. That being the JDC Miller Motor oh, yeah. Motorsports 963, that being the Proton Competition nine six three so to answer rohan's question ultimate pace wasn't there for pole right um okay in the race itself i don't know if i really thought a porsche was going to win at any point in time even though again there were some that were going rather quickly but what made me happiest was seeing that a they weren't relegated towards the backs so that answers a lot of the question here yes clearly they've made vast improvements over the season The fact that it wasn't just the two factory cars doing the best, but indeed the two privateers that were seemingly welded to each other, Graham, whether it was the yellow car in front of the white or vice versa, uh, they ran in tandem for a really long time and were in a highly competitive place, third, fourth, fourth, fifth, something like that. Um, That told me, hey, you can buy a Porsche 963 and have real expectation to go anywhere next season and beyond and be highly competitive. So answer is yes. Don't know if I would say jumped out as we're gonna knock down the Cadillacs or the Acura's. Uh but it was uh it was something that made me smile and definitely left me with a positive impression. Um, hey got a yep. couple quick I mean, ones just
1: a quick 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 mo- quick moment on that actually because uh, obviously it brought proton competition their first the first uh, podium uh, for a privateer run gtp slash hypercar that's a fantastic result I had a good conversation with a couple of the people involved in that at uh, Portimao because they're here racing in lmp2 and in uh, the final race weekend for GTE in Europe, just uh, Bahrain to come in WC. And it's fair to say there were big smiles after what's been a tough, tough season to get that programme uh, to the track, both in WC with their newer car and the car that deported at Mons WC, which is now the car that's a full-season car for this year in the MS Tech Sports Car Championship. And I think the one regret MP is we haven't yet got the supply chain, um, the budgets, or indeed the space on the grids to grow this hypercar class quickly enough. We are beginning to get not huge numbers, but sensible numbers of racing organisations beginning to show the level of ambition that will carry them forward potentially into hypercar. We'll have stories on a couple of those that are not yet in the mix uh, over the next couple of weeks for both Racer and for Delhi Sports Car on both sides of the Atlantic for, for that matter. Um, and there'll be driving news as well uh, coming and coming soon. Uh, so it is good to see. It's good to see that it's it's got legs, it's it's kind of carrying on with this positive momentum. It's not every weekend that we're finding another huge story uh, with another huge brand coming. But what we are seeing is people thinking about the sustainability of this top class, and that's got to be good news.
0: I agree. Why don't we answer the next and final segment, the final piece about Colin Brown and save maybe for a Monday, maybe do an early episode uh, of catching the rest and looking back at 23 and four to 24, because there's a lot of great questions in here. And I know we wouldn't be able to uh, give, uh, give the, question askers the answers that they deserve so
1: uh, i'll tell you what if we do de- if we could delay the um if we could delay the episode to midweek we'll have a couple of things that might be a bit special Ooh,
0: well then maybe maybe it's a combo would it, this be our first Ooh. ever flappy gums slash listener q a episode I maybe the sound of that we're we're innovative maybe. or something like that no, not really. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, final topic of the episode, questions from at the real B.E. Morton and also at Will J underscore Will F1, Will James, about our guy Colin Brown. Don't know if you got a chance mm. to really get stuck in and watch the uh, final stints uh, at Petite, Graham, but our guy Colin Brown reminded everybody, anybody who forgot, I hope you didn't, that this guy is a monster still. He's only like 34. Okay. He's been driving since he was three or whatever age, but Mm -hmm. he's been around forever, but he's still young. And despite his incalculable number of miles in endurance racing as fast, if not faster than anybody in his car, that being Tom Blomqvist, that being Elio Castroneves and everybody else on track, just a monster performance to close the race to bring Meyershank Racing its second consecutive win at Motul Petit Le Mans. Third race of the season. I feel this is important to mention, Graham. We know that they're an outgoing Acura team. We know that Shank Racing's final race in the WeatherTech Championship took place last Saturday night because their deal with Acura is over for one reason, and that being the, uh, the cheating scandal in January, which massively embarrassed themselves, but more importantly, their benefactor, Acura. Um, but we also would be remiss if we said across the entire GTP championship this season, there was a single Acura team to win. Marshank Racing. They won Daytona, contentious, obviously, you and I have expressed our belief the win should have been taken away as well, but it wasn't. But they yep. certainly came back, won again at a, at a standard-length race in Canada, and then also won last weekend at Motul Petit Le Mans. So IMSA decided to allow them to keep the win. That means they won three races for Acura this year. Their stablemate, now former stablemate, that admittedly took a lot constant shots at them all year long, after the Daytona mess, right? Uh their belly was exposed and their stablemate made no efforts to avoid firing shots into that belly whenever they could. Uh they've ended up receiving that car, receiving that contract. Yep. So they're now a two car team in twenty twenty four. But I, I do feel we have to be real in assessing what took place was Of the two accurate teams, only one won races this year and didn't just win a race, yep. but won three. So big respect to Shank Racing for doing that. Opening the year on a high initially with the win, obviously five weeks later uh, that was was soured and sullied, but won again, and then won to close the season sending themselves off in, in high style. And the person who really helped make sure that would happen, Graham, was Colin Brown. Just peerless drive. So we have our our two folks here saying, any thoughts on the future of Colin Brown? It's awesome to see his great talent in GTP, hoping he can continue on that level. And then Will James says, with Marshank Racing leaving IMSA for at least next season, where could we see Colin Racing next year? would like to see him stay in the top class. All the best you both. I'll serve that up to you with... Okay. two two things i yeah. don't know the team but i did have it confirmed that he does have a ride next year uh i also uh, know i do yeah. i also know that if Meyershank racing were to return in 2025 which i feel like pretty strong odds that could happen i've heard yeah. from pretty good source that uh Wherever Mr. Brown might be driving next year, it'd be on a one-year deal. And that if Shank can be back in IMSA next year, uh, I have a pretty good understanding that we know where young Mr. Brown would be driving. I know that's how much the the Shank team wants him, for sure. But um, tell me about this. Tell me about seeing a guy who was brought in as a new teammate to Tom Blomqvist who was a rocket yeah. right set the set the standard in 2022 winning the DPI championship with Shank AirX 5 teammate Oliver Jarvis didn't exactly go as well as they'd hoped throughout the year that partnership was was broken up after one year by Shank Colin was brought in good guy driven for Shank before but yeah. you know uh, again been a little while since he was in top class right a lot of time in lmpc or p2 p whatever but not necessarily the top class very much for a while i'll we'll see if he's still got it brother <laughs> he still got it tell me about this
1: Well, well first and foremost you mentioned uh, ollie jarvis one today by the way here for united autosports uh recording this on friday evening colin what can you say super guy truly lovely guy uh, for starters and that pays dividends as well but not as many as if you're an absolute rocket ship behind the wheel and safe and a rocket ship behind the wheel, what can I tell you Um, I hold him in the highest regard without a shadow of a doubt I'm delighted to hear that he's got a a ride for next year, we'll say this without giving detail, we've not seen the last of him this year either uh, so he will have at least one more program uh, even before we get to, to where the Tech Sports Car Championship. Next He's replacing year. Sergio Perez like at the think Red one, Bull. Almost oh, well, certainly. Um, uh, oh, Lanzberg. No, don't say that. Uh, no, no, that would be unfair. Uh, that you, you'd like to feel, wouldn't you, that people across the sport recognize talent and quality and. Collins got that in spades. Uh, his time with Core Auto Sport, great gig for him. Um, team that loved him dearly and showed absolute loyalty uh, to his loyalty, which was a, a wonder to behold. Um, I'm delighted that you know here he is in his mid thirties now, still thinking of him as a kid, which is ridiculous. But I do, um, and he's there with a second wind in this brand new era. And great to hear that Maya Shank, actively looking, we know, for a 2025 program in the top class, uh, continued to hold him in the highest, highest regard, the high regard they uh, and the trust they showed in bringing him on board with what, for them, was a hugely important program. I think he paid back that, law, that, uh, that belief absolutely in spades.
0: Amen. So look forward to hearing where the new father will land congratulations to he and his wife by the way but yeah um, uh the world would not be right graham if (laughs) if colin did not land in a proper proper place so um yeah the world is right so why don't you as you so finely and keenly do which takes home
1: I will do. I'm going to answer one quick question as we go there. It comes Walter Fr. What's keeping Mercedes from entering hypercar ambition? I think is the answer there. Uh, but we'll move on and say thank you to everybody that's written in uh, with these questions. We will recycle some of these for uh, or early next week or middle of next week episode, and we'll we'll come up with a slot for that. Um, but I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing off air uh, next week, uh, MP. Um, thanks to Daniel Hansel for pulling these together and doing it so quickly and so uh, expertly once again. Thanks, of course, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to Toronto for their continued backing of these endeavours. Thanks, of course, to you, MP, in what I know has been a very busy time for you. Um, And thanks to the listeners for continuing to support The Week in Sports Cars. It continues to be a joy. We are getting back to a period of time where it's a little easier to keep this to some sort of timetable. This has been The Week in Sports Cars, as always, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast offering. He's been Marshall Pruitt. I am Graham Goodwin, and we will speak to you next week.